Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Lord, now we come to your word and we ask that you would indeed open our hearts and our minds. And God, forgive us for our sins and remove the distractions that would keep us from hearing your word. Lord, we long to be pleasing to you. Shape us now as we hear and as we obey your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My high school cross-country coach told us after a particular workout, running is 60% mental, 60% physical, and 90% mental. He was not one of our math teachers, but his point was well made. You need more than muscles to get you to your goal. You need something to drive those muscles. And yet we're mortal. We still need to feed our bodies. We still must be nourished. I learned over the last couple of years in riding my bike how important getting the right water is to being a good cyclist. On my longest ride to date, I did the whole ride without the electrolyte water that cyclists like to drink. They didn't provide it for us, so all we got to drink were, was water. Now, when I finished the race, and I did finish the race, Donna was not happy that I couldn't walk up the stairs on the parking uh, garage to get to the car, so I kind of laid down on the asphalt and just waited for her to drive and pick me up. Without those electrolytes, I was absolutely spent. I was in desperate need of drinking from the right source. Now, in the case of riding 111 miles in Tucson, Arizona, that was Cytomax, the kind of drink that I have on my bike. But in the race of life, the drink you need, the streams that you need to absorb are the promises of God for you in Christ. Life has been compared to a race by many, and in this race, we get exhausted. Do I hear an amen? You have kids, you're automatically exhausted. You live somewhere, you're doubly exhausted. I've said to most of you one time or another that the essence of what it means to be a Christian, the bottom line, if you boiled away everything else that attaches itself to being a Christian, what you get is trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. The single most important distinguishing feature between a real Christian and someone who falls asleep on Sunday in church is that the Christian lives like God's promises are true for him. Because Jesus lived, because he died, and because he rose from the grave, God's promises are true for you. The bottom line is that we live so that people who are looking at us from the outside know that without a doubt we depend on what God has said 
we must believe and that we can believe and that his goodness to us is far more important than, as we heard in the sermon this morning, everything else in the world or anything else in the world. Now, who wants that kind of life where you have power just coming out of you to meet all of God's demands? Well, of course, everyone does. And all the way through Scripture, promises like this are being offered by God through the men who wrote his word. And one of my favorite promises, one of the, my favorite ways of putting it is found right here in 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to read verses 3 and 4. It says, God, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Boy, that's enough to preach on right there. And He gave us this things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them through these precious and very great promises you might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire power for life and godliness comes from drinking from the right stream And in these two verses, we find two streams being offered. The first is what we have said, these precious and very great promises. And the second, and unfortunately most often trusted stream for quote-unquote life, is the corruption that is in the world because of my sinful desires. One of these, my friends, is a promise win, and the other is a promise fail. Let's begin by understanding verse 3, where Peter sets up his argument. He says here, His, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. First of all, we need to understand that granting everything you and I need for life and godliness is something only God can do. Now you pay attention around, around you in Just about everywhere you look, there are lots of promises for life that are available. But here we have the exact same power that spoke the universe into existence in all of its magnificent detail and the incomprehensible enormity of this universe is the same power that he has given you for physical life. And for spiritual life. The physical birth that makes us human and the spiritual birth that makes us like Jesus Christ. Both life and godliness. Only God can give life. It seems like about every other month you see some news broadcasts about scientists doing some amazing things. And scientists have been able to do some really amazing things. I'm not knocking that. But what they have been able to do is to induce life to multiply. And life multiplies. That's what God created it to do. 
So they clone sheep, they clone pigs, they do all these things. But scientists never have been and never will be able to bring something that is not alive to life. Because only God can do that. And of all the ideas that are wrong about evolution, the worst is the idea that chance and time cause dead things to come to life. My friends, you know this. God is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him because only God can give the physical, spiritual, and eternal life we need. Now time out. Because I know, all of you know John 14. But do you claim that? Do you remember that when you are tempted to take that apple of temptation, when you are tempted to dive into that stream of filth, whatever flavor of sin it is that you enjoy. Peter, in his passage, expresses this idea of spiritual life with the word godliness. And we become godly when God saves our souls. Our salvation is 100% a work of God because there is nothing that someone who is spiritually dead can do. However, we also grow in godliness. Peter affirms that God's power gives us all that we need for this growth. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So our growing in godliness happens because God is at work. And this growth comes through our response to his power working in our lives. And this I just picked two of them because they were easy to find. Romans 8.13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You need to make that decision. But then we also find in Hebrews 12.14, he says, the author says, strive for peace with everyone. Don't just, oh, well, if they call me. Then I'll talk to them. No! He says, move! Go for it! Work! Strive! Because that is what it needs. That's what we need in order to be holy. We need to fight because we are swimming upstream in a torrent that is trying to push us over the waterfall. Now, this growth in godliness is what we call sanctification, is different than justification. Justification is what God does. He declares us righteous. He speaks this righteousness into existence. And that is what is spiritual birth, the beginning of life with God. But sanctification, what we're talking about here tonight, is this process that includes your efforts at getting close to God and mine. This is the power that God gives us for life and godliness. This growth, this process of becoming more like Jesus. And it comes by drinking from God's promises. By imbibing them. By living in the environment where God's promises break through for us. God's divine power makes both physical and spiritual life possible. And he does this through the knowledge of him 
who called us. Now, Peter uh, gets particular. He uses a particular word for knowledge, and there are a couple uh, that he could have chosen for him. And the one that he does here is a relational knowledge. He uses a word differently than he would have talking about facts. You know that 2 plus 2 is 4. In this case, Peter is specific. We must have knowledge of him who called us. We must know relationally as a person God himself. And this makes perfect sense because Peter was sitting there when Jesus said in John chapter 17 verse 3, Peter, excuse me, Jesus says, this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, I'm going to tip my cards for a second because I want you to get where Peter is going to go with this in a moment. I'm going to mention later that Peter gets even more specific about this knowledge. He is talking about knowing relationally, getting soaked in and imbibing from the streams of the promises of God because it is power for life and godliness and that comes from this drinking, this soaking in. To use John's, excuse me, Peter's Man, I can't talk tonight. Jesus' words in John 15, he says, Abide in them. Live in them like a fish lives in the ocean. We must have knowledge, relational and factual knowledge, of these promises before we can trust them. Before, as we go out in the world, we face the temptations that will be around us. We've got to know them now. We've got to prepare now so that when we are in the environment where temptation will grab us, we already know them and we are already there. And the way we get that is through the knowledge of him who calls us to his own glory and excellence. He is calling us by his own glory and excellence. This is, this is what he's doing. Now, this is... I, I grant you a slightly confusing phrase. But I think what is clear, though, that what he's saying here is he's pointing us to what Jesus did. What did his life look like? Have you ever wondered why there's four Gospels? I mean, why couldn't they have just had one story of Jesus and they could have put it all together? Well, it's because each of the men who wrote the Gospels gave a different view so that you and I could capture this, so that we could read it and we can see what his ministry looked like. We, wanted to, we want to see how Christ's earthly ministry showed God's glory. In the last Gospel written, one of the last books of the Bible written, in John chapter 1, verse 14, this is how John describes it. He says, the word, Jesus, became flesh. He became just like you and me. He became flesh, and not only that, but he put his tent up right next to ours. He dwelt, he abided with us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The glory 
that Jesus showed us was living among us as one of us, full of grace and truth. And his goodness was more than manifested by repeatedly, over and over again, healing people from his illnesses, their illnesses. It says this crystal clear where Peter is preaching in Acts chapter 10. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. I have a question. Have any of you ever gone to the doctor and he gave you some penicillin or he gave you some other medicine or maybe he just put your arm in a cast and either that day or a couple of days or a couple months went by and you were better? Has that ever happened to anybody in here? You know, that's God healing you. Now, albeit he's using human means He's using other people around us. He's even using you being smart enough to take that penicillin or moxicillin or whatever it is you're taking. Give glory to God for that. Tell him that you recognize the doctor giving you the medicine is God's goodness to you so that his goodness can be shown through you to the people around you. Amen? That's a large part of why we're here. And if you want the people around you to see how great God is, just tell them, man, Dr. Spoo made it so my wife can walk again because she wouldn't be walking if he hadn't put her foot back on her leg. Right? Confess to him how good he is. And ultimately, God's glory and goodness, his excellence, were screamed out for the universe to hear at Jesus' death on the cross. And because of his death, God the Father was able to call you and me and our brothers and sisters around the world out from all of us who deserve God's wrath against my sin. At any rate, God's calling us, you and me, sinful, finite, weak human beings to take part in this eternal relationship with him is the best example of his glory, his greatness and his goodness that he has given us. And it's a promise. It is a promise that he shows us over and over again even when we go and have surgery. And we can give God great glory for that because that's another example of a promise, of a blessing that he has given you so that you can take that to the bank so that when you are facing the next trial, the next temptation, you can say, wait, hold it. God has proven himself over and over again in my life and in God's word. So you know what? I am going to bet that he's going to come through again. Right? Because power for life and godliness comes from you and me drinking from a bucket the blessings of God's promises. And he gives us this power for life and godliness 
Verse 4, by his glory and excellence, he has granted to us these precious and very great promises. Notice the description that Peter gives of these. He says they are very great and precious. They are very great because nothing, nothing, nothing can give us what we need except divine power, except God moving in my heart, in your heart, in your boss's heart when he cuts you slack. It's God who gives us these blessings. And they are precious because they are what we need for power, for life, to keep my heart beating and for godliness to keep my spiritual heart beating so that I can show others how great and how good God is to me. And it is in this knowing, this swimming and even drowning in the promises that we are able to do two things. And Peter lists them here. He says, through these promises, you may become, number one, partakers of the divine nature. Now, let me say what Peter is not saying. We are not part of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We do not believe that you are going to become little gods. I think the point that Peter is making is the positive side of exactly what he's going to expand on next when he says, through these promises, you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. What is it that makes sin so rampant? You ever... Why, why do people butcher each other in Africa? Why, why does the slave trade still exist in this country, by the way? Why is it that there is so much smut on the Internet? Why, why is there just repeated fountain after fountain after fountain of putrefying waste? Well, Peter identifies it exactly right here. The corruption that is in the world because of my sinful desire. It is the trusting, not merely knowing. Remember what we said about relational knowledge as opposed to fact knowledge. It is the trusting of the promises of God that free us from the tyranny of this evil, this corruption, this what John calls the death that we live in every moment of our lives. Now, fortunately, Peter gets even one step more specific. He tells us where this corruption comes from, that comes from our desires. And here he says corruption is simply, we know that corruption is simply what happens to dead bodies. You see an, a, a possum in the road that got run over by a car, what happens? It corrupts. In this case, what Peter is talking about, the, the vomit that comes from our own sinful desires is just what naturally happens to the dead souls that are steeping themselves in the this, this stream of sinful desires so that the souls of these people simply putrefy. Can't you smell that wherever you go? Can't you smell that when you 
yourself are drinking from this sick stream, from whatever flavor, whatever dispenser of temptation you're enjoying. I said that there are two streams, quote-unquote, of life that are listed here. It's true. There are many sources, quote-unquote, of life. Many, our culture says, roads to heaven, according to the world. There's the fame road. It seems to be a very popular one nowadays. Everybody wants their 15 minutes of fame. Of course, population has more than doubled since Andy Warhol, so it's more like 15 seconds of fame. But there's also the riches road. That's another very famous road that people walk on. And even if they can't get their hands on a pile of gold, they live like they do. And that's why we have credit card debt. That's why we have debt in our nation. You know another dangerous road to go on? It's the family road. It's the putting so much of ourselves into our family that we end up worshiping them. We end up living for them and wondering why they're not calling us every day. This is also a dangerous road to live on. There are many roads by which people seek heaven. But there is only one that leads there. There is only one road that leads to the gates of heaven, and that is the one that goes by the cross. It's the one whereby all of the promises of God for you in Christ are one. Which road are you on? It's not enough to say, well, I go to church and I've been going to church since I was in the cradle. It's not enough even to say, well, I love Jesus. Because you and I both know there's lots of definitions of love. The truth is, my friends, every single person on the face of this earth has a flavor of sin that they are continually drawn to. Everyone believes the lie at some point every single day. Everyone believes the lie at some point of the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. If it were not so, Peter would not have been so clear in saying it. If it would not have been been so that people are always going to our own areas of corruption, then Jeremiah would not have also felt the need to give one of the most brilliant pictures of what we're talking about here in trusting the two different streams. Although he puts it this way in Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 11, he says, has a nation changed its gods? He's saying, do You guys know me. You guys have my word. Has anybody ever changed their gods, even though those are not gods? But my people have changed their glory, there's that word again, for that which does not profit. Be appalled. You have to read that word right. Because if you don't, you'll read right by it. Be appalled. Oh my goodness. 
What's going on here? Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. Catch this. See what the two evils are. This is very important. They have forsaken me, the fountains of living waters. You ever been out in the woods and you see an artesian well, water just popping out? That's one of my favorite things in the entire world to see. And this is God. He's saying, you don't have to dig a hole. It's coming out. I'm coming out for you. They've forsaken that, and they've hewn out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. This exact passage became vividly portrayed for me when I was hiking in Haiti. It was the last day we were there, the first trip we went uh, to Haiti, and we were walking up this hill, and someone had a cistern next to their house. Well, that's actually fairly common in Haiti because you can't trust the government to give you water, so you got to take whatever you can get. And so I thought, oh, this is cool. So we walked over there and had this, I mean, it was a 10-foot deep cistern. You know, somebody put a lot of work, and it was, it was huge. I mean, there, hundreds of gallons of water could have fit in there. There is an enormous crack at the bottom. Someone failed to reinforce the concrete, and all of the water, if there ever was water in there, just went straight out. And you know what there was instead? Trash. It was filled with garbage. That is what you and I are embracing when we start gossiping about our friends. That is what we are enjoying when we hold bitterness in our hearts about something that happened yesterday, two weeks ago, 20 years ago. Instead of the pure, clean, cool water that the Lord offers you in his promises. Are you trusting in the fountain of living waters or are, are you trusting in God's promises or are you trusting in the broken cisterns that can have no, hold no water? Are you trusting in the foul, putrefying stench, stench of sinful desires that can give no life? All they can do is take it away. God promises you and me in Christ God's promises to you and me in Christ are designed, listen, they're designed to give you confidence, to give you hope, to give you an understanding so that, it's, it's what the Bible calls faith, so that you can fight these temptations and win for the glory of God. Paul puts it like this, and another one of my, I'm, I'm pulling all these passages because I love them. I live by these passages. In 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Paul writes this. He says, since we have these promises, I'm going to read those promises to you in just a second. 
Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of the Lord. Now, what are these promises? Uh, This is great. 2 Corinthians 6.16 I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Amen. Come on, you guys got to say amen to that. Verse 18, I will be a father to you. Thank you. My dad turned 66 today. I got a chance to talk to my dad. It was nice. My dad has absolutely no intention of ever calling upon the Lord. And you know one of the saddest parts about that is I can't, Tell him all the things that fill me with joy. He doesn't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about it, bud. My heavenly father is a father to me. And I just suspect, I'm, I'm just throwing a wild one out there. Some of you may even have worse dads than me. Some of you maybe had quite good dads, but you can't call them anymore. Because they're already with their father. Having a dad is a powerful promise. Trust him. Call out on him. Just like when your kids called out on you from their bedroom and you came running. You do that for your dad. You do that to your heavenly father for yourself. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. These are the promises. And these are just just two of the many, many, many promises. And these promises are sufficient. They are fully capable. They are enough. For you and me to purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit. God has promised us life and now godliness. We can have life that is true life. Not just mere survival. How do these promises help you live the Christian life? I'm just going to give you five really quick examples. Do you ever need, do you ever find yourself in need of assurance of your salvation? Go to 1 John 5, 11 and 12. Find out that you can know that you know that you know that you are saved. Do you need assurance that God will answer your prayers? Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you shall receive so that your joy may be full. Do you ever need assurance that you can beat this temptation, whatever it is? No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. Oh, I love this. God is faithful. And he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under this temptation. Do you need assurance that you have forgiveness for the sin that is still in your heart? You know this one, don't you? Come on, help me out. Somebody's got to know 1 John 1, 9.
purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Do you need assurance that God will guide you? Do you ever run into a situation where you're just afraid that you're going to mess up? Do you ever need wisdom? Do you ever need someone? Do you ever need that confidence to know that God will be there with you and for you? I know it is that you need. Because you need the exact same thing I need. You need to preach the good news to yourself every single day. You need, and I need, especially when God is calling, he's drawing your attention to the streams of sin you are swimming in. This is what you need. God's divine power has granted to me all things that pertain to my life and my godliness through my knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to me his precious and very great promises so that through these precious and very great promises I may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. My friends, you want to swim in the promises. God's promises to give you all the power you need. So plug into that power. How? All the ways you've been hearing people preach all your life. Go to God's word and bring it back to your heart and say, this heart is what you need. Not the promises of life that come from the local sewage treatment plant. Instead, go to God's word. Dig in it. Pray as you go to God's word and say, Lord, show into, show me the riches so that I can have the power for life and godliness. Get into God's word. Abide in it and let it abide in you. Begin so that you can begin to reject the lies around you and speak the promises of God to your own heart so that when, it is te- when you are tempted to go skinny dipping in the local sewage facility, you can turn away and dive into the fountains of life. Let's pray. God Almighty, we are so often tempted to turn away from you, to turn away from the source of real life and to embrace death. God Almighty, you have told us over and over and over again, and we only looked at a very small percentage of them today. You have told us over and over again, come to me and you will find rest. Lord, let us find our rest in you. God, I pray that you would woo your children, my brothers and sisters, that me, Lord, draw us to your word and away from the lies that lead us to death so that we might find the grace, the power that we need for life and for godliness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.